0: The passage today is 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17, and there will be a uh, companion passage as well in Romans 13, 1 through 5, that I'll be reading afterward. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And also Romans 13:1 through5. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience.
1: All right. Good morning, everyone. I, too, welcome you, whether you're here in person or joining us online today. I am Scott Hahn. I'm one of the six elders here, and um, Pastor Mark and his extended family are at the beach for the week. They left yesterday. They'll be back, Lord willing, on Saturday. And he'll be back here um, sharing the next passage next week. For those visiting, uh, we have been going through the book of 1 Peter, verse by verse. And uh, we've come to a great passage today. And I ask uh, David to, to read the complimentary passage that Paul wrote in Romans 13. And so uh, we're going to look at, at these verses today in great detail. You know, this book is, I, I love First Peter, and I'm thankful the Lord's worked it out. It's my third time preaching in, in, in this passage, uh, or in this book, and I've enjoyed uh, each time preparing. But this book's so helpful for best Christian thinking, and then translating those thoughts into Christian living. I mean, I think that's just like the big theme of 1 Peter, is to help us know the right things to think and then translate that into our behavior. Peter lays out so many things uh, in this book in, in such an interconnective way, and it's important to note that even though, you know, we're taking our time through this book as rightfully we should, but one section builds upon another, and so we can't really forget about any of the things that have been written so far to this point of what we're looking at today. But I'm going to go ahead and give you the punchline. I'll tell you the main idea, as I see in this passage today, is that what we say about what we believe needs to match how we live. Okay, so what we say about what we believe about God and ourselves, it needs to match up in all areas in how we live. Peter spent so much time to this point in the letter outlining who we are as Christians and what that means you could say that a many theme highlighted so far is that, that followers of Christ have rewards that are out of this world, right? We looked at that in chapter 1. But also, in a very real sense, that Christians very much belong to a different world and a different kingdom. That's been the theme, as Pastor Marx pointed out. It's encouragement to elect exiles. We really are exiles. And having made that case with, with such emphatic language. Peter spends time in the verses we're going to look at today guarding against wrongly applying some of the principles that he's underscored so far. Because some readers may take what he's written so far and they say, you know, we are a holy nation belonging to God. We looked at that last week. So what does it matter how we choose to live on earth? I mean, after all, the Gentiles look like they're having fun. Let's just do the same things that they're doing. Or why do we even have to follow the Roman Empire? Why do we have to follow what Rome tells us to do? They're an illegitimate ruler over us. God is our rightful and legitimate king. And in these verses, Peter's saying, not so fast. We're going to look at this under uh, two two headings. Um, The first one is uh, Christian conduct, and the second one is under authority. Peter, once again, starts out the verses that we read today. Peter starts out the verses that we read today saying that we are beloved sojourners and exiles. We're temporarily here on earth, but we are here on earth for a time. And therefore he urges us to conduct ourselves while on earth in a particular way. Followers of Christ should live in a noticeably different way than those in the world. It should be obvious. Our lives should be honorable, he says. That's the theme of this passage. Our lives should be honorable. Honorable means morally correct, principled, righteous, but it also means praiseworthy. We should live in a way that's praiseworthy. Peter urges us to abstain or keep away from the passions of our flesh. Our own desires want to do things that sin against God. James writes about that in the first chapter of his book. He kind of talks about that progression of sin. He says that most of the time, sin starts with our own desire inside of us to do something wrong. There's a desire inside of us that kind of springs forth. And sometimes it seems to just pop into our heads and hearts out of nowhere. But then... We feed it. We give it room to grow. We dwell on it. We spend time thinking about it and and how we think, wow, that would satisfy us. And when that desire has time to grow, it allures us, it entices us, it pulls us closer towards sin to the point that we say, okay, and we give in and try to fulfill that sinful desire. This is what Peter's talking about when he's talking about the passions of our flesh. This is what the passions of our flesh are trying to stir up inside of us. Now, for those born again, there's an active war taking place inside of us. And because we have a new nature inside our soul, we now have the capacity to resist and overcome sin. The Spirit of God gives us the tools to turn away from and not give in to sin. It's still hard to resist, and in plenty of places we don't get it right. We still give in, even with a new nature. That's the war Peter's talking about here at the beginning of this passage. The war rages on inside of us while we are here on earth. But we do have the tools for victory, thankfully. Having honorable conduct or holy living, as Peter wrote about in the first chapter, right, the command was to be holy for God is holy. Many times we're going to stand apart from the actions of the world. We are to be peculiar. You know, I learned this book by reading kind of the, King, or the new King James, and, and they translate when he talks about a holy nation. It's like, we are peculiar people, right? That's an interesting word, peculiar. Our behavior needs to stand in stark contrast to the impure and wrong actions that nonbelievers grow perfectly comfortable doing. Our actions should grab the attention of the world. They may not understand it, but they'll notice it. A few weeks ago, I was golfing with my oldest son, Simeon, and when we were on the green, um, there were a group of three college guys behind us. And so when we were on the next tee box, many times they were on the green behind us, and we could hear their conversation. And let's just say they were cursing like some of us are breathing, okay? I mean, every word, every other word. And uh, Simeon said, you know, Dad, he said, I've noticed a lot of college kids that's all they do is curse. I mean, it's in every sentence they say. And uh, he, he was, you know, he said, I, I saw it at the community college and now at the university that he's at. And he said, it was settled for me in my mind that I wasn't going to participate and curse in cursing it when I was sitting beside a student um, at, at uh, one of the community college classes. And one day he came into me, into in, in in class, and he said, Simeon, he said, I had a dream last night and you were in it. And would you believe it in my dream you actually cussed? I heard you say a cuss word in my dream. And he said, Dad, when I heard that, it made me just stand up and say, Wow, this guy's noticing. I mean, if 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 my decisions made it into his dream life, he's like, <laughs> he's like, there's something going on there. So that settled it for him. And this is what Peter's talking about, right? It's gonna stand out in stark contrast. Our holy living, Peter says, should honor all people. It treats them with a dignity and a respect as someone made in the image of God and full of the worth that comes with that designation. This means we don't flaunt our righteous behavior to try to belittle those who don't live like us. We don't ridicule them for the different decisions they make, nor do we celebrate their disobedience to God. Honoring everyone means we're kind even when they don't deserve it, we're kind to them when they don't deserve it. We're we're gracious enough to overlook the things that they do wrong even to us. And we also gently encourage them towards the way of God. Now, let's look at the other side from the other position, the unbeliever side that Peter talks about in here. For those living outside of the family of God, sin becomes an increasingly normal lifestyle. It's just natural The reason why pure conduct stands out to the Gentiles, and again, that word Gentiles is just a a term of the day for those who were not followers of God, right? For those that didn't believe in the God of the Bible, the unbelievers, the Bible uses the term Gentiles to label those people. But the reason that our pure conduct stands out to the Gentiles is that it doesn't match up with the way they're used to living. Now, we should not be surprised When sinning is natural for people that are still controlled completely by their sin nature. That should not catch us off guard. We were once in that same position. The Gentiles of this day did many things that we see happening around us today. prevalent sexual immorality, pagan rituals, idol worship, backbiting, evil, lying, cheating, deceit, stealing... And the list goes on and on. And we see those things today. Not only is sin normal to those in the world, but there's a tendency to speak evil against those who do it differently or those who behave differently. Peter says here that they're going to speak against us as evildoers. This phrase means to speak in an abusive or incriminating way towards someone. People in the world are going to frequently call evil good, and they're going to call good evil. Peter says that they're going to look at our honorable conduct and call what we're doing evil. They'll do this because they want to be able to chase their wildest desires without restraint. And so they're trying to run away from what's staring them right in the face. And that is mainly that the things they're pursuing are not right. And they might know deep down that they should avoid or change their evil ways. But the tendency is to lash out at those who are doing good in order to invalidate the good behavior invalidate the bad behavior in their own minds. That's why this speaking against us as evil, one of the main reasons why it takes place. God's placed a moral compass embedded in each one of us. It's called our conscience. And this applies a force in, a, in us towards good to do the good thing now we can override it and we frequently do override it and sometimes or each time we override it it grows a little fainter right a little dimmer in its strength those who rebel against god consistently they spend their life trying to completely silence their conscience so that they can in their own minds enjoy their sin and invo- and avoid experiencing any conviction and sadly Some people temporarily achieve that goal. But as Peter ends this part of the first two verses we're looking at, our consistent righteous conduct very often directs people to a humble acknowledgement that God is real and that God is good. Peter says we're to do good so that they're going to see our good works and there's going to come a day when they glorify God. Some people will do that in their lifetime. It'll cause them to change and repent from observing our good Christian conduct. Others will resist their whole lifetime until it's too late, but nevertheless, the promise here is that those individuals, when Christ returns the second time, they'll be forced to acknowledge and recognize that the good deeds they they observe the Christians doing will produce, as they reflect on them, will produce in them A glory for the God's holiness. Desmond Doss was a member of the Army Infantry in World War II. And he was a conscientious objector, right? He wanted to serve his country during the war. He felt like it was his right to protect his religious liberties that God had given Americans and he wanted to fight, but he also was a pacifist and did not believe in holding a weapon. And so he, he had a, a, a conflict, so to speak, in his own mind. But he signed up to, to serve his country in the military, and he wanted to be a medic. And he went down the path of a medic. They tried to force him into being in the rifle, uh, being a rifle interme- and. and, and part of the rifle infantry and they put a gun in his hand and forced him and he refused to use it. He said, I'm going to be a medic. So all of the men um, made fun of him, right? They did lots of mean things to him because he, in their eyes, he was too weak. They didn't want him on the battlefield beside him. They thought he was a liability to them and so they made his life miserable in effort to get him quit. In fact, one, one of his um bunkmates said, if we ever make it to the battlefield, be sure to know I will be the first to shoot you. Okay, this is what they tried to put him through. He went and served in the Pacific Theater, and he was placed in Okinawa, and he was at Hacksaw Ridge, which was a sharp ridge, and the US troops had to literally climb the ridge using a cargo net and lots of casualties our army faced at that place. Desmond went up there. The Japanese soldiers had the higher ground. They had the higher position, killed a lot of troops, and most of them retreated. But Desmond stayed behind, and in the cover of darkness, he rescued at least 50 men, lowering them down on a rope to safety where they could receive medical care. The rest of the men took notice of that, and when, he, when they found out it was him that was rescuing, they completely changed in their attitude towards him and their demeanor towards him. And he inspired them, and they actually wanted to go back and try to take that ridge. In fact, one of his fellow soldiers, Jack Glover, said in the documentary called Conscientious Objector" said that Desmond was one of the bravest persons alive, and then to have him end up saving my life was the irony of the whole thing. The reason it was irony was Jack, Jack Glover tried to get Desmond court-martialed before they left for World War II. And Desmond ended up saving his life. In fact, they ended up taking the ridge, but the, the day that where they switched the tide from the, from the and, and, and the advantage the Japanese had, the men refused to take the ridge until Desmond would go with them. And Desmond refused to go with them until he had had his Bible study and devotion time that morning. So they literally waited for him to finish before they went back and attacked. This is what Peter is talking about. All right, let's move to the part most people want to know about. And that is our relationship to government. After encouraging the exiles with how to behave towards their physical neighbors who had a different way of life than what the believers were called to live, Peter shifts to instructing the exiles on how to live in connection to their rulers. Whatever institution God has set up, we see in Scripture a clear human chain of command, right? The institution of marriage, husband is the head of the wife. The institution of family, parents are the head of the children. The institution of church, elders are the leaders of the saints. The institution of government, rulers are leaders of the civilians. And so very clearly in the two passages that we read today, or that David read, counting Romans, you cannot read those passages without walking away. That Christians are to be subject to the rules and leaders of the of the country God has placed them in. Let me say that again. Christians are to be subject to the rules and leaders of the country that God has placed them in. This stands true with very few exceptions. Now, Peter and Paul both wrote these passages while they are being ruled by Emperor Nero. Nero had a reputation historically, he has it now, of unjustly persecuting Christians. He tortured them and executed them like no other emperor did. Peter and Paul wrote what they wrote, living under that setting, watching heinous things happen to their friends and colleagues and followers of Christ. And even these two men themselves were put to death by Emperor Nero later on in their lives. And they wrote these things we're looking at today. If we only had two pass- these two passages to go by, you would be left to conclude that there's absolutely no circumstance where a Christian can disobey their government and its leaders if all we had from Scripture were these two passages in Romans and what Peter says here. The point is, we are to have an overwhelming heart position of submitting, which means being willing to listen to, heed the counsel, and heed instruction with a cooperative attitude in relationship to our government. Now, we follow our leaders because our leaders operate under the authority of God. Our leaders are under God's sovereign appointment and control. and That's why it's important for us to submit to them. Because we trust in God. So we submit to them whether you or I like the situation we're in from a government standpoint or not. I challenge any of you to identify a more important life trait than being a person under authority. The fall of man happened because of a refusal to submit what God commanded, right? Adam and Eve started all of this because they were not able to remain under God's authority. They doubted him, questioned him, and rebelled against him. Our relationship with Jesus hinges on him being our Lord, our master, our king, which means we obey him no matter what. And we get to practice by submitting to other humans and different relationship contexts that God has placed us in. The idea of submitting plays out in every arena of life, as I've said, in homes, in churches, in places of work. But the good news is we can grow in our submission if that doesn't come easy or natural to us. The Spirit of God can help us grow. Now, for the parents in the room that have a few children, I'm sure it's very easy to identify at a young age which children have a heart to submit more naturally and which children have a heart to rebel more naturally, okay? So, between my two sons, Simeon had a heart more to submit, and Zach, my youngest son, did not have that type of heart, okay? Okay? When Simeon knew what a boundary was, we knew that he wasn't going to press the issue. He may stand and complain about the boundary and ask us why the boundary's there, but he wasn't going to go over it. Zach, when he was young, he had more of the heart. Like Once he identified what the boundary was, he would make sure we were watching to make sure that we saw that he went past that boundary. Okay? Now, the good news is, as Zach has matured, and come to Christ. The spirit of God has worked in him. And we no longer see that attitude in his life. And I praise God for that. It's real growth that we've seen in him. As he's gotten older. And so for us, there's hope for us. Okay, There's hope for each of us. In the sense that, that some, some folks. You can just size them up. This is someone who's willing to be a person under authority. This is someone who's not. But for those that it doesn't come easy or natural. There's, there's hope to grow in Christ. Here's why it's important. Because submitting to God and submitting to authority and the institutions in our life is for the purpose of exalting the reputation of the Lord, as Peter says. When we live as a person in proper submission to our relationships, it brings glory to God. Let's look at the example of Daniel, right? Remember Daniel when he went into the lion's den, okay? He was... The, the the rule that was put forth was nobody for 30 days could bow down and pray to anybody but King Darius. Okay, it was a setup, as the Bible showed us, by those who were jealous of Daniel. When they brought Daniel to King Darius, King Darius knew right away that he had been kind of tricked. Because it says in the Bible that he spent all day trying to figure out a way to rescue Daniel from the punishment that was supposed to happen to him. And when he couldn't do that, because he couldn't go against his word for what that would look like on the rest of society, and he dropped Daniel into that lion's den, it said that Darius stayed up all night fasting and praying for Daniel's life. And the next morning when they came and checked on him, and Daniel was was alive, and Daniel said, My God, shut the mouths of the lions. King Darius rejoiced. And he then issued a new decree that the entire nation would exalt and rejoice in the God of Daniel. And you can read this in Daniel chapter 6. And you can read what the nation said in glorifying and exalting God. Because Daniel submitted because of the repu- to exalt the reputation of God. Our overarching mindset when submitting is to do good under all circumstances. We have a responsibility before God to live right. When the people around us cut corners, when they lie, when they cheat, when they steal to get ahead, our charge is to still perform what is good and noble in front of the watching world and in front of our watching God. When our leaders get off track in carrying out justice, which is Peter defined here with the role of justice in government, is to promote what is good and to punish what is evil when they get off track in doing that we are still to do what is right and good there will come seasons in fact I would submit we're living in one now when society gets confused about what is good and what is evil God's remedy is for God's people to carry on with what is good and what is right as Peter says here We do this for those who are confused and living in foolish ignorance with the hope that God will use our right and righteous living to silence them and change their behavior. There's twice in just this five or six verses we looked at today where Peter says our good behavior silences those who object. The Gentiles and with those in relationship to the government. While we submit to the governing authorities, we are still to live as free servants of God. There's a great privilege in being a servant of God, no matter where he's placed us. We, in America, we enjoy real freedoms where we can gather to- together without fear, without intimidation, to worship God and to do good for our fellow citizens. There are plenty of believers right now that live and, and worship God in oppressive regimes where it's illegal to follow God And their lives are at risk if they are found out. There is tremendous persecution in the church going on in Pakistan right now. Those in Karachi, they've burned over 50 churches in the last two weeks. They've killed Christians. But whether you're in America or Pakistan or another dangerous situation, there's still ways for us to live as servants of God, however difficult that may be. We serve God and we worship him in various just and unjust settings. Notice the warning here is not to let this reality of serving Christ be an excuse for us to do evil. We must say, sorry, we must not say that since we're servants of God first and of the state second, that we're entitled to live however we want. We live free, but what does Peter say that we are free to do? We are completely free to serve God. No matter what, we are completely free to serve God. The only place where we have no restraints on earth is in serving God. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ, therefore go and make disciples. It's one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples on earth. That's the foundation of our freedom because Jesus has all authority. That's the foundation of our freedom. But our freedom's not permission to do what we want to do. It's not an excuse for evil. It's not an excuse to disguise our evil things that we want to do. Our freedom's not to cover to serve as a cover for our heart of disobedience. Finally, let's address Maybe that question that most of you have had on your mind. Do we really have to follow government all the time? I said earlier that we need to have an overwhelming attitude of submitting to the rulers and rules of government. And these two passages, this one and the one in Romans, they strongly support that. But if we look at all of Scripture, Scripture shows us there are times when we can't follow the laws or decrees that our leaders make. Remember when Pharaoh gave the order that all male babies under the age of two needed to be thrown into the Nile? There were two midwives, Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah, and they refused to go along. And when Pharaoh sent officials to them, they lied. They said, these Hebrew women are strong. I mean, they have their babies and go back to work before we even get there to help out. So, you know, this is one of the reasons why you're not seeing lots of babies in the Nile. Remember Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho? She hid two Hebrew spies that Joshua sent into the land of Jericho. And when soldiers came to the door and said, we know they're in here, she said, no, they're not. They went out the gate and they turned right. You need to go that way. Jesus and God honored her by making her a mother in the, in the lineage of David, and eventually the Messiah. We already mentioned Daniel, and of course there's several others. Perhaps the one that came to many of your minds first is that famous example in, in Acts five, with Peter and John being rested, right? And they were told not to preach Jesus in the streets, and Jesus I'm sorry, and Peter said, in essence, "Yes, there is your law, but there is a law above your law." And we must obey God rather than man. So how do we know when we can disobey our rulers? And then how should we go about it? As I've looked at scripture in preparing for this the past few weeks, I really, I think you can can boil down, there's two categories, two main categories where we can disobey our leaders. First, when government commands us to sin or perform evil, we must resist. Or when government commands us to harm ourselves or harm someone else, we must resist. If the government asks us to disobey God's clear commands, then we cannot follow suit. Right? The midwives, murdering was wrong. They couldn't go along with it. There's also an example in in Kings, if you remember, where uh, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel had ordered all the prophets of God to be murdered. And Obadiah had 100 of them. He put 50 in one cave and put 50 in another. And he was on the team that was supposed to go out and murder the prophets. But he said, this isn't right. I can't do this. Secondly, when the government keeps us from serving God and doing good. It's a testimony of Daniel, right? They told him, you cannot worship God. And Daniel said, watch me. Same with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Same with Peter and Paul and John and others that were arrested for preaching Jesus. When the government gets out of their lane and instructing society and they start to instruct the church and interfere with the institution of the church as God is over it, then the church needs to continue to church on. So how do we go about it? We work peacefully within the laws of our land to promote what is good and right. Remember, the big idea of what Peter's communicating in this passage is that we are to do good. As believers, we're to do good in front of the Gentiles, in front of the government, even if chaos is going on around us. We are to use our spiritual weapons, prayer, fasting, and begging God first to change the circumstances and leaders, and our leaders for good. We shouldn't assemble and rally if we haven't approached God first. We honor everyone as we trust in God. We challenge, but we don't disrespect, we don't revile, we don't demean those in leadership or the people that are on their team or on their side who promote the evil. We honor everyone. One last thing, and then we'll pray if we disobey an evil government then we need to be ready to accept the punishments that come our way even if we can't flee the situation Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego they said whatever to Darius, to Nebuchadnezzar Jesus did not resist and he even rebuked Peter when Peter drew his sword to take a slash at the Roman soldiers, he said, put it away, it's enough. Paul, Peter, John the Baptist, they were all imprisoned unjustly for speaking about the kingdom, but they didn't resist. Instead, they entrusted themselves fully to God. Last phrases that Peter uses in kind of a rapid-fire succession, right? Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We're to honor everyone, including the emperor, including our leaders. We're to to unite together as a brotherhood and sisterhood, together for strength and encouragement to do those things and fear God. As we're good at all times, may the outcome of us being good at all times make our testimony believable. That's the end goal that Peter's trying to encourage us. Guys, make your testimony in Christ believable. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your instructions to us, Lord. How would we know what to do if you did not leave your word? Lord, we would make lots of poor decisions. But we're thankful, Lord, that we have the the, the, the truthful instruction of your word, Lord. I I just pray, Lord, that, that you would line our hearts up with your hearts in this area, Lord. May we be known in this area Church, as people who are under authority in every area of our life, may we have a believable testimony in the community, in front of our families and friends' lives. Thankful, Lord, that you've placed us where you have at this time and all the opportunities we have to serve you. Lord, help us to serve you in a free way, Lord, knowing that all authority has been given to your son, Jesus, on heaven and, in heaven and earth. And so we can go and we can make disciples. We can serve you in full freedom. Empower us to do that, Lord. Lord, I pray for our nations. We pray for the leaders in this area that have difficult decisions. I know being a person on the school board right now in this county is not fun. We pray for them, Lord. Give them wisdom. Lord, we pray for our, 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 our elected officials in the state some of which are good friends with some of us in this room and, and, and our governor and, and others. We just pray, Lord, for them and wisdom for them, Lord. May they really pursue promoting what is good and dissuading what is evil. Finally, Lord, we pray for our federal leaders, for President Biden, for his team, for our elected members of Congress and the Senate, Lord. We pray that they would have hearts to honor you with the decisions they make. May they be promoters of what is good and a discouragement to that which is evil. Lord, give us in our hearts today the ability to respond accordingly to what your spirit is telling us. If we need to make adjustments and and our attitudes and what we've thought, what we've said and communicated to friends in certain situations that isn't being obedient to this word to er to honor everyone, including the emperor. Give us the ability to change by your grace.